Tonight's Bible reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, through to chapter 3, verse 13. Um, and I'd just like to encourage you all to be bringing your Bibles from home if you're coming into church, since we don't have the Red Pew Bibles anymore. Um, it's great to be able to follow along during the reading and also to have it in front of you during the sermon. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting from verse 17. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Well, hello again, everybody. It is, uh, it's a joy and also a bit strange to preach at your induction service, but I think it's a wonderful thing, and it's a privilege for me to do so because we are people that value God's word very deeply, and we want to grow in our understanding of it. And so as I get to, in, yeah, as the first time being inducted, I hope that is a great encouragement to you as this passage has been to me. But as we, we have done for my 14 years here at Nawi, I trust beforehand and I hope for all the years to come, before we approach God's word, not out of tradition but out of necessity, we pray. So please pray with me. Father, we do come to you, Lord of all, and you are the one who's given us these words. They are your words, they are not ours. But you bless us in being able to understand them and to live them out. Father, I pray that as you speak through me, that my words will be yours. Please help us to deeply understand what it means to be your people. Father, for those that are across the screen, I pray that they are able to engage with what's going on in here and know they're just as much as part of us as, they go, as the people sitting in this room. Father, we look forward to what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was saying uh, when I had a little word before, this is a church that I love, and I've felt loved by uh, yourselves as well. 
And it's uh, a place where I've been for a lot longer than Paul has been in Thessalonica. But in some similarities, the relationship that Paul has with Thessalonica has a little bit of similarities. We're on the same mission, we're on the same call, we believe the same gospel. Uh, there's a mutual love for one another. So I hope that as we read this passage together, as we engage in it, uh, that, we are, that you are challenged uh, to love me. But more than that, you're challenged to continue to love and care for each other. Because this uh, little letter in Thessalonians, it's a really beautiful letter, isn't it? Like it's encouraging and it's, it's full of um, comfort and love. I remember chatting in my home group about it and they were saying, oh, this is so different to some of the other letters like Corinthians where he's like hitting them hard or Hebrews. This letter in Thessalonians is full of encouragement. And as we've been going through it, um, I hope you've felt that. You've been a bit inspired by Paul. You've been inspired by the Thessalonians. And just to kind of catch us up, so if you're new today, if you're like my family who's just jumping in for the first time in this series, or uh, you're probably like almost all of us and it's hard to remember what goes from week to week, we are in the book of Thessalonians. And Paul has gone to Thessalonica, Thessalonica, I'm not sure how you say it, one of the two. He's gone there and preached the gospel. And there's people that have believed it, they formed a church. But against his will, Paul, he's got stripped away. He's got taken away uh, from them there and he's had to leave. But the church has remained. The church is there. They're separated by Paul. They're separated from Paul, sorry. But they're still going. They're going, undergoing intense trials, but they have started strong. And as Ange was preaching to us in week one, going through chapter one, you might remember that they had the characteristics of Christian life. They had faith, hope, and love. And the gospel was thundering out from them. It was going all around. And Paul was strongly encouraging them. And then David, when he was preaching last week on a ministry that pleases, he was saying how Paul was kind of defending his ministry a little bit. And he had that kind of paternal and maternal, that parental language of love uh, towards them. So in some ways, it's a little bit silly, but in some ways, this, where we're up to in the passage at this point, is kind of like if you've left home, or you're at home but you don't talk to your parents much at all, um, as my mum likes to remind me sometimes <laughs> when I was living there. It's kind of like your parents have given you a call. And they're like, Matt, oh, doing so well, you're doing a great job. Uh, it's really wonderful to hear what you're doing. And just remember that I love you. Remember that I care for you. I want to see you keep going. And then we hit this part. Chapter 2, verse 17. And at this part, we begin to hear a bit of nerves. We feel Paul's anxiety start to build up. We feel, we feel his sense of fear and a concern for the Thessalonians. But it's important that we understand the deep love we know Paul has for them before we unpack that. So when you look in verse two, in chapter two, verse 17, as Billy mentioned before, he calls them brothers and sisters. He's affirming the fact that their family has great affection for them. We then learn again that he's been separated from them. He's been orphaned. And that kind of creates that really strong, powerful, but distressing image of like a parent and child that's like wrongfully ripped, ripped away from each other. But then you've got Paul, he's always thinking of them. Yeah, I'm not with you, but you're not out of sight. You're out of sight, but you're not out of mind. 
He has this intense longing to see them. And you see that language there in verse 18. He says, I wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. He's really telling him, I, Paul, I'm keen. I love you guys. I intensely love you and I'm committed to you. Now at this point, that kind of intense longing and love and expression, it, it can sound a bit like, oh, and then wanting to see them. It can sound a bit like that when you haven't seen your friend for a long time. And then you, you text them or you see them. Oh, it'd be so good to catch up. I'd love to catch up with you. Um, let's chat about life. But I'm, I'm, I'm busy, but I'm so keen to see you. But Paul, it's a little bit different for him. He's not concerned about having a coffee date with them. He is deeply concerned about their spiritual welfare. His heart is for their spiritual health. They are walking with Jesus. And in this section, in perhaps one of the most significant parts of the Bible, we get an insight into anxiety. A healthy sense of anxiety, sure, but anxiety nonetheless of someone like Paul. And as you look in chapter 3, verses 1, you continue through finishing chapter uh, verse 5, he says that he was desperate to see them and he could stand it no longer. He's desperate to be with them. So you can imagine Paul, he's probably in Corinth at this point. He's writing this letter to the Thessalonians. But before that, in Corinth, things are probably going good while he's there. He's preaching, people are coming to faith, the church is growing, right? Good things are happening. But as that's going on, he's like, oh, I'm concerned what's going on in Thessalonica. How are they going? He's deeply concerned for them. You can imagine he's preparing for his synagogue message on the weekend, and he just can't concentrate. Tim, Silas, come in here. I've got to talk about the Thessalonians. He can stand it no longer. He has to know about their spiritual welfare. And he's got to know because there's trials and temptations and they're strong. Paul fears for them. He has a deep love for them and a deep concern which drives his desire to see them have a strong spiritual welfare. He's anxious to know whether his labors have been in vain if the Thessalonians have fallen away, or if they stand firm? Are they remaining following Jesus? Now, there's heaps of reasons that you and I can be concerned for our Christian brothers and sisters and our other friends that are not part of the family of God at the moment. Physical needs, issues of justice, things of mental uh, need, to just name a few. But what this passage is seeing What Paul is primarily concerned about here is their spiritual welfare. Have they remained in the faith or have they fallen away? If Paul cares little, his concern is little. If Paul's love is little, again, his concern is little. But no, Paul's anxiety anxiety is high. His fears are real. He is desperate to help them. And I wonder for us, it's a strange question to ask, but how are your anxiety levels for your Christian brothers and sisters? Not the sense that their faith rests on your shoulders, but what's their relationship like with God? This passage quite confrontingly poses that question to to us. How concerned for the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters are we? 
We all have people we care about deeply, and that's good. We need to continue to care about people deeply. But have a think about how much we deeply care for the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters. Now, this deep concern that Paul has for the Thessalonians comes from the fact they're going under heavy and consistent trials and persecution. These temptations are apparently really strong, uh, and Paul is fearing that they're going to revert back to their old life. Now, to Paul, suffering persecution or undergoing those kind of trials are as normal as breathing for the Christian. They are not to be unexpected, but still, yes, extremely hard to navigate and persevere through. In verse 3, you can see, he says, I told you they were going to be there. You knew about it. You were destined for them. Like at the moment, I'm trying to get fit. Still trying. Still going. Not, not there. And it's hard. It's hard work to continually try and get fit. Because whenever you actually try to get fit, it comes with pain. You can't get fit without some kind of struggle. And it's the same with Christianity. When we're Christians, when we're living for Jesus, the Bible promises us that in some way persecution, trials, temptation is going to be upon us. Now, sure, we can, like I can stop trying to get fit and the pain is going to go away in the short term. And sure, we can stop running the race marked out before us and the trials will stop. But if we keep following Jesus, yes, the trials will continue. But the glory is before us. And that's what has Paul, that's what's on Paul's mind. Now we can sometimes think uh, that as we approach passages like this one in Thessalonians, that when we hear persecution, we're thinking like people dying, like martyrdom, people dying for the faith, very extreme physical persecution. And that could have been the case, uh, but probably more likely in this time in, th- in the Thessalonians' life is that it more resembles like an internal distress and like an external pressure for them to conform back to the Roman way, conform back to their, the culture and the patterns of life they used to be in. Now, yes, there was physical persecution for sure, but that kind of internal and external pressure was what was certainly on Paul's mind as well. This new business of following a new way of life, a new king, certainly came with trials. These trials of social disapproval, social dislocation from society, that shunning, the dismissal from friends, business partners, no longer wanting to do business with them, huge parts of their community life taken away. When you go to the religious festival, that's where you connect with people, that's where you have community, If you follow Jesus, you were part of a new way, a new community. Now, they might not have rocks thrown at their head, but they have a constant temptation, a constant trial that is pushing them to stop living the Christian life, or maybe at least just to to turn it down a little bit. I don't know about you, but that sounds very similar to, to our way of life at the moment. At times, pushed to the edges disapproval from our friends, comments about our faith that, you know, that we needed that 100 years ago, we don't need it anymore. Things from our friends and from our society that are helping us 
to go back to what they see as right. Now, coupled with the temptation that comes from up within ourselves, this is really challenging. We hear thoughts like, and from other people, you know, does God really care how much you drink? Or how you spend your money uh, in a certain way? How you spend your time? This doesn't really matter. And for us, sin is attractive. We wouldn't do it if it didn't taste good, if it didn't feel good. We wouldn't do it, but it is. These are the trials and many others that we are facing, that you are facing, that your brother or your sister next to you are facing. And the constant nature of it can be fatiguing. And we can end up stop, stopping to pray as much, we stop engaging with God as much. We can get lazy in our holiness. And eventually we can stop. The fatigue of it, when we don't abide in Christ, can become too much. And we slip away. Now, I did an engineering degree at uni. And one of the things they teach you there is how to break stuff. They teach you how to break stuff so you know how it breaks, so then you make it not break. One of the ways you can break stuff is through fatigue. Without going into the technical detail, just imagine a paper clip. If you get a paper clip, you want to break it, you can cut it, you can bash it, you can do all sorts of things. But one thing you can do is bend it. Now you bend it once, it'll bend. You bend it twice, it'll bend. You bend it again and again and again and again, what does it do? It breaks. We are not abiding in Jesus when we are not continuing to gather in community. That fatigue of the trials and the temptation is going to be very strong. Of course, we rest in the hope and the knowledge that God will always ensure that his people persevere. But again, we're in the murky waters, the beautiful, mysterious waters of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And as we go through this, another thing which I think Paul points out which is worth us making comment on is the reality of spiritual evil. When you read verse 18, Paul wanted to come, but Satan blocked his way. When you go down to chapter 3, verse 5, for this reason I could stand it no longer, I had to find out about your faith, because the tempter, in other words Satan, may have tempted you. There was a spiritual battle going on for the Thessalonians' lives. And Paul is reading the spiritual battle map in front of him. And he is seeing that in one hand, Satan is blocking Paul from getting to the Thessalonians and encouraging them. And the other hand, he's tempting, alluring through all sorts of means, the Thessalonian church. Now, I'll point this out for two reasons. Like, firstly, to recognize that there is evil forces in this world. In our secular 21st century society, it is hard for us to conceive. It's not good. We don't see it, and our world, our society pushes it away. The Bible tells us it's reality. And you may have experienced it or be, be able to speak into it personally. But secondly, we're not to fear it. We do not fear forces of evil. Paul didn't fear Satan. What he was anxious about was the faith of the Thessalonians. That's what caused him the concern. 
Paul knows that Jesus ultimately, he defeated evil on the cross. And one day when he comes back again, it's going to be completely destroyed. But both these interconnected things of trials, persecution, and spiritual battle, it all gets too much for Paul. And when you read verse 2, he sends Timothy. He gets Timothy and Silas together, and at great cost to himself, and at great cost to Timothy going on that road by himself, or maybe with a buddy, but still uh, an intense, sucky road, he sends Timothy to encourage them. Paul is desperate to love them. He's desperate to labor in love for their spiritual welfare. Now, this passage doesn't directly say it here. It says it elsewhere in Thessalonians. But as the people of God, we are called to have the same attitude as Paul. Why is that? Because he has the same attitude as Jesus. He's reflecting Jesus. And Jesus is ultimately the one who has the deep love for us and the greatest love as he stepped out of heaven and died for us so that we can have the richest spiritual life possible. And we are called to imitate Jesus, who's being imitated by Paul, and deeply love our brothers and sisters and labor hard for their spiritual welfare. Now, we don't save them. Jesus alone is the one who saves people. But we ask ourselves the question, like who is it that we are loving? Or who is it that we can grow in our love so that we can show the same attitude of that Jesus has, and labor in love for them. Now, in this season of COVID, it produces all sorts of many things. And for all of us, we experience some of it all the same and a lot of it quite different. But I know one thing that's happened for all of us, again, in varying degrees, is that COVID has been an incredible trial on our faith. I know many of you personally, and I've listened to some things from around Australia and the world. And this season has been a huge faith test for many, many, many Christians. And as you sit in this room, I know it's socially distanced, as you sit in the hall, as you sit at home on your couch, you might look around and you go, my friend was, they're no longer here. Well, that friend that we used to see semi-regularly now, not at all. Well, that friend, brother, sister, I know that they're struggling. COVID presents us incredible challenges for sure. But it presents us with a moment to see who is not here. A moment to see who is struggling. And as we look out, as we think about that, please pray. And then think and reach out to those people who are potentially drifting away or who have drifted away. Of course, always be wise in our pursuit of people. Uh, we don't want to pester them unnecessarily if they don't want it. But we need to labor. We need to pursue to ensure that we labor in love for the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters. Now, I know that as we, we teach God's word and um, as we, we share it with others, we know people might not necessarily remember what we say. At times they will, and that's wonderful. I know that there will be many parts of this sermon uh, that will be forgotten. But, know, but you know in yourself that people will remember the way you love them. They will remember the actions that we made. 
and how we love one another in this time. And when we love one another deeply and we practically care for them and we intentionally care for their spiritual welfare, you don't know how long that will go in the faith journey of someone that you know. Now, sometimes that pursuit of another may end in rejection and heartache. And it can, and that's devastating. Paul knew that cost. Paul was concerned for that cost so much that he sent Timothy. And he sent Timothy at great cost. And there was a chance that Timothy got there and they said, go away. I don't want to speak to you. You left us. Or they may have fallen away and not cared. But not here. If you have a look back, verse 6. It's a beautiful image. Because Timothy returns and what does he bring? He brings good news. And he brings good news particularly about their faith faith and love. Like they're persevering. They're continuing in the faith. It's beautiful. And Paul, he's rejoicing. They have pleasant memories of him. The news of the trials, yeah, they're still going. They're still here. But they are standing firm. They're persevering. Their spiritual welfare is good. And the result of that is that the encourager is encouraged. The one who was supposedly the one that was going to give all the encouragement is now here receiving all the joy and excitement, the fact that these people are standing firm. It's a beautiful thing. Have a look, verse 7, if you've kind of captured some of this emotion from Paul. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in our distress, in our persecution, we were encouraged because of your faith. Paul has an incredible deep love for them, And now he has incredible, deep joy because they are persevering. The encourager is the one who is encouraged. And the Thessalonians didn't really do anything particular to Paul other than continuing in faith themselves. And so let me encourage us that if we find ourselves in a similar position to Paul, where we hear of the faith of someone else and they're continuing the walk, take joy. Praise God because of it. Rejoice in the fact that people are continuing in their walk. Be incredibly thankful that others stand firm. And there's other times in our life we're going to be on the other side. And you might not feel you have the capacity to encourage someone else. But when you're resting through a tough time or you're just continuing through the trials and you stand firm... Brothers and sisters, we're going to look at each other and be encouraged. I know of many people that sit in this church. For me, that has just been an incredible encouragement. And I trust for you, as you hear people that continue to walk in the faith, it's an incredible encouragement to you. As they step, you're encouraged to take a step too. So please continue to persevere. I mentioned it before. Uh, But when Paul takes uh, incredible joy, he also directs all that thankfulness to the Father. When you have a look, verse 9, he says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Now, the idea of of thanking God in the presence of the Thessalonians, again, it kind of wades into that beautiful but mysterious waters of God's sovereignty and human responsibility but come together beautifully. And Paul is incredibly deliberate 
in praising God for the fact that the Thessalonians are continuing. And we too should always be thanking God and celebrating and taking joy in the spiritual welfare of others. But Paul, he doesn't stop there. And neither should we. It would be a nice ending to the story, but Paul continues to go on. He has a deep love that labors for the spiritual welfare of others. But it's a love that continues. Because when Paul hears about their faith and love, he's still desperate to encourage. In verse 10, he says, Nine and day I'm praying for you, that I want to see you again. I want to supply what is lacking. Because love doesn't stop. Love never fails. It keeps pursuing. It keeps desiring what is best for the other person. And in this case, what Paul saw was that he needed to supply what was lacking in their faith. Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what it means, what he's going to supply to them. Whatever it is, they're lacking in it. You get a bit of an idea from the back end of Thessalonians. But I think a really good idea comes from his prayer in verses 12 and 13. Because in general, he's just saying that I want to see you continue to become Christ-like and continue to supply whatever he can so they can grow in maturity into Christ-like character. So when we have a deep love that labors for the spiritual welfare of others, we too seek to supply what is lacking for our brother, our sister. Now when we're doing this, uh, supplying what is lacking for others, please let me encourage all of us, and definitely encouraging myself, is to please pray. Be deep in God's word. Be abiding in Jesus. Because when we're doing these things, that's when God can use us most powerfully and work through us. God can use us no matter what our circumstance is. But when we're abiding in him, we're able to do his work. This act of helping another is never to be a source of pride. It's never to give us some sort of greater sense of position or greater sense of power. As David said last week, we give out of what we've been given. And in seeking to help others, we can only give from what God has given us. So please always continue to be humble, continue to be wise and walking in step with the Spirit so we can supply what is lacking to our brothers and sisters. And please do seek it. Whatever it is, just being in their presence, sharing a word of encouragement, simply being there, giving them some kind of instruction, whatever it is, please do it. And for us and for Paul, this just leads to prayer. Paul prays in verse, or tells us of the prayer in verse 11 through to 13. And he prays for three things. He wants an avenue to encourage them. He wants them to overflow in love. That should say love. To continue in holiness. In praying for a way to come to them, he is directly recognizing the power of God over forces of evil. Directly. You remember at the very beginning, verse 18, Paul said, Satan's blocking the way. Paul is praying, okay, God, if I'm going to get there, you're going to make the way. Because you are more powerful, you are infinitely more powerful, and I know you can make the way, so Paul prays it. Secondly, Paul is praying for that overflowing and increasing love. Like that water that kind of just bubbles up continuously, again and again, more and more and more out to everybody bringing life. Because a loveless Christianity is false. 
but an ever-increasing love that reflects the Father. It also reflects Jesus and demonstrates where his child. And we will see the flourishing of the communities that we live in. And the third prayer is for a holy life. Now, Angie's going to really dig into this next week uh, and unpack it in full. But very briefly, we, are, we know we're called to be a holy people. And there's a lifestyle that comes, across, comes with being uh, holy because we are declared holy from what Jesus has done. But we know it is, it is incredibly difficult to continue to remain holy and blameless. So we need this continuing strength that only can come from God so that we can be blameless and holy. We too need to continue to pray for others. Please pray all kinds of prayers for one another, any kind. Ones that are in Jesus' name, of course. <laughs> but continue to pray for one another and let that arise out of a deep love that labours for the spiritual welfare of one another. And then just imagine if all this is this community, if we are living this out continuously, a community that is transformed by Jesus Christ to the glory of God, so much so that we have a deep love that labours for the spiritual welfare of the person sitting next to you, the person on the live stream, the person on the hall, whoever we come across. Imagine the joys that are going to come from we continue to partner with one another. Now, in my 14 years here, I've experienced that, and it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful when we live out being the people of God. So please continue all the more. Continue in that, because that is what we want this church to be all about. People that are transformed by Jesus Christ to the glory of God. A bunch of really misfit people that are loved, united by the Lord Jesus, who deeply love one another, who deeply care for the spiritual welfare of each other, or for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Our Father God, we can only love because you loved us first. I thank you so much that you loved us. You sent Jesus, and you showed us the way of life. Thank you that he gave us the example, and then Paul followed it, and now we get to follow it too. In deeply caring and loving, laboring in love for our brothers and sisters. Help us to have wonderful spiritual insight as we care for one another. And Father, I pray that this community always reflects the church that you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.